You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Kent in the UK is home to New Ash Green. The post-war development harbours a strong feeling of community and a sense of belonging. One of the residents was 46-year-old Sarah Wellgreen. Sarah enjoyed a close relationship with her family and they would regularly meet up for lunch, shopping and go on holiday together. Her mother Anne said she cared deeply for other people and would always stick up for the underdog. Sarah was a devoted mother to her five children, who were the centre of her world. She would go all out for birthdays and other holidays. She had two sons, Jack and Lewis, from a previous relationship, and three children with her partner, 39-year-old Ben Lacomba. She worked hard as a beautician and would work on evenings and weekends alongside bringing up her children. Her partner Ben Lacomba had been born in Greenwich, and in the early 2000s he moved to Mallorca, with dreams of becoming a pilot. The pair had met in December 2004 on a dating website. He made a good impression with Sarah's two sons, and Sarah decided to leave her job, and she and her two boys would move to Mallorca to start afresh with Ben. But the happiness didn't last long. Due to her being unable to speak Spanish, she couldn't find a job, and this, coupled with her homesickness, made it very difficult for Sarah. Ben also wasn't able to become a pilot, so instead worked at the airport. They subsequently decided to move back to the UK, having already welcomed their first child. After settling into a new four-bedroom home, 22 Bases Shore in New Ash Green, Ben began working as a taxi driver, and Sarah would work as a beauty therapist. But the issues in the relationship began to show, with the pair arguing often. Sarah eventually decided to call time on the relationship, and in response, Ben threw her and her two sons out, whilst keeping the three children they had together with him. Ben had arranged a court hearing for the very next morning, in which he said Sarah had abandoned her children, and consequently, he was awarded custody. Sarah was unable to defend herself as she was unaware as to what was happening. Sarah was devastated. She and her eldest two children went to live with her mother and stepfather, The family saved every penny so they could be able to go and see a solicitor for legal advice. And in August 2016, she would be awarded full custody of the children. It was also around this time that her personal life began to move in a more positive direction when she met Neil James. Sarah met Neil on a dating app in 2016 and their relationship would go from strength to strength, culminating in an engagement. But Sarah was worried that if she tried to move in with Neil... Ben would battle her for custody. In 2018, she offered Ben the opportunity for them to live in the house together and co-parent their children, despite their romantic relationship coming to an end, something her family had begged her not to do. This wasn't by any means an ideal solution, as emotions between them were still running high, so Sarah decided to try and buy Ben's share of the house from him. Sarah had taken her children to school in the morning before heading to work to see her clients. She was also incredibly excited and happy as she had been able to secure a new, higher-paying job. At around 8pm, Sarah was seen coming home and heading inside. She sent several text messages, including to Neil, 
One message to a friend read, There's always something to look forward to. You've just got to open your eyes and dream. The last text message was sent at 10pm, before she headed to bed. The next day was an incredibly special one, as it was one of her children's birthdays, and, like always, she had planned for it. As the morning rolled around, Neil sent her a text message, but Sarah didn't reply. As the hours continued to tick by, Sarah still hadn't responded. Neil decided to reach out to Ben to see if he had seen her. Ben replied saying he thought Sarah was with him, as he hadn't seen her either. Neil called Sarah's family and explained that he had been trying to get hold of Sarah since the morning, but hadn't been able to make contact with her. Sarah could sometimes forget to charge her phone or accidentally leave it in the car, so her mother decided to call her too. But, like Neil, she couldn't get hold of her. One of Sarah's sons used text messages, social media and calling her work phone to try and get a response, but there was still nothing from Sarah. By the next day, she still hadn't come home. Her mother kept trying to get hold of her, but as Sarah continued to not respond, her mother knew something was seriously wrong. Everyone was becoming extremely concerned for her. They agreed that if by the next day she hadn't made contact with anyone or come home, they would call the police. It had now been 48 hours since Sarah Wellgreen had been seen, and she still had not been in contact with anyone. Ben contacted the police. Can we switchboard? Hello, um, I want to report a missing person. Okay, and how old is this person? Uh, I know her date of birth. Uh, it is 14, 12, 71. Right, okay, so what concerns do you have at the minute? Well, she um, she lives with me. Yeah. She's my, she's my children's mum. Okay. And, uh, and she's not, like, we're not we're not together, we just live together sort of thing. Right, okay. And, and she, um... She came home uh, Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday night, um, and then uh, we all went to bed. Uh, and then when me and the kids woke up in the morning, she wasn't there. DCI Ivan Beasley, senior investigating officer with Kent Police, was assigned to investigate her disappearance. Ben told the officers that after Sarah had arrived home on the 9th, he had put the children to bed and gone into his room, which was the loft conversion one, and she had gone to her room on the first floor. He explained that when he had woken up the next morning, Sarah wasn't home, but the car was still parked in its spot. As it was one of her children's birthdays, he said he had expected her to come home. A missing persons investigation was quickly underway, and a search of her bedroom was conducted. One thing immediately stood out. All of Sarah's personal effects were still there, including her money, bank cards, keys and handbag. These were not things Sarah would have left without. For DCI Ivan Beasley, this was extremely concerning. As she had left her car keys at the house, one theory that was considered was that maybe she had gone out for a run or walk and become injured and unable to get help. A five-mile search radius was set up around Sarah's home, going through fields and woodlands to try and find her, even checking hospitals to see if she had been admitted to any of them. In spite of all this, and after an extensive search, there was still no sign of Sarah. 
there were no phone records to indicate that she had agreed to meet up with anyone that night. DCI Ivan Beasley noted Ben Lacomba's demeanour. He said, Ben didn't seem to be that concerned. The way he was presenting to us was described to me by my officers as quite odd. He didn't really want to engage with us. He didn't really want us at the house, which, for somebody who had reported Sarah missing, he didn't seem to be acting in that way. He also said that officers discovered that Sarah's family had had to pressure Ben into contacting the police in the first place. Sarah's son utilised social media and the close-knit community immediately came together to look for her. Hundreds of people from the local area came in to help. One of the volunteers, Sharon Brine, noted Ben Lacomba's behaviour. She said, We were very baffled with Ben when during day three or four of our searching, he went into the village office to book the village hall, and we thought it was completely bizarre. There's half the village looking for the mother of his children, and he's trying to arrange a kid's game in the village. Sarah's oldest two children attempted to visit their siblings, but were told they weren't allowed. Lacomba had taken the three youngest to his aunt's house, and he had also started court proceedings to gain custody of them. DCI Beasley said, Within a few days of her disappearance, Ben had gone to the family court, and was trying to have an urgent meeting so he could have primary custody of the children. In order to generate any leads, the police issued a press appeal to get information about Sarah out to the public, but as the days continued to pass, Sarah Wellgreen still hadn't been found. Concerns continued to escalate that she may have been met with foul play. Detective Superintendent Paul Fotheringham said, We have experts with specialist technology and forensic scientists working with us to try and find Sarah. Police went back to speak with Ben again to try and gain a better understanding of the dynamics and ins and outs of the family home. He told them that Sarah would often go missing, disappearing without telling anyone, to go and meet other people. The police went to Neil's house to search the property and ask him further questions, as he was one of the last people she had had contact with. He explained that he had called her at 9.24 on the night she had last been seen. They spoke for around 15 minutes and then sent a few text messages back and forth before they said goodnight. Phone records showed that this was true, and as he was at home with his daughter at the time, he told the police to check the M25 cameras to prove he hadn't driven to Sarah's. His story checked out, and Neil was in the clear. It had now been a week since Sarah Wellgreen had seemingly vanished, and police decided to check the local cameras, and more than 15,000 hours of footage would be searched. At around 2am on the 10th of October, the same time Sarah went missing, CCTV cameras picked up a car driving around. One of the images picked up on camera showed the vehicle with a logo on the driver's side door. Why did this pique the interest of investigators? Because it was similar to the vehicle driven by Ben Lacomba, a red taxi with a logo on the driver's side door. But the police had to be sure. They brought in an expert to compare his vehicle to the grainy one on the footage. The expert determined that the footage did show Ben's vehicle. Around two hours after it had first been captured on CCTV, the same vehicle was seen coming back. This appeared to contradict his assertions that he had been at home in bed when Sarah had gone missing. 
The home had an extensive CCTV system, which was operated from Ben's bedroom, so he could see the goings-on throughout the house. DCI Beasley said, It was quite an elaborate setup. He had cameras at the side, at the front, and at the back of his house, all controlled by an assistant, which was kept in his bedroom, which was in the converted attic part of the house. They checked the footage from the day Sarah had vanished. Ben was seen coming home, and nobody else was seen entering the property before Sarah came back. It wasn't just their home that had security cameras, their neighbour's home did too. The neighbour's home had three months' worth of footage to watch. They could see that the CCTV camera from Ben and Sarah's home had been on almost constantly in the time leading up to Sarah going missing. The footage from the neighbour's house showed the infrared lights coming from Ben's cameras and also showed that after midnight on the day she had last been seen, Ben's cameras had been switched off. Ben said the files from the cameras at his house weren't usable as they had been corrupted and that the complex system in place actually hadn't been working for the past year. Another piece of footage that stood out to investigators showed him coming home. In the footage, his vehicle was clean. After taking the children to school the next day, the car was caught on CCTV again and this time there was mud and dirt on the sides and wheels. At around 10.30, he went to the office where his taxi company operated. When the car pulls in, the dirt is gone. Another element that stood out was after watching the neighbour's camera, the police learned that he would always park his car in the same spot until the night Sarah had gone missing. That night, he parked it at the back of the property, somewhere not covered by the neighbour's CCTV. Upstairs, forward! As detectives search woodland near the 46-year-old's home, today police said her disappearance had turned into a potential murder investigation. She just had a new job offer that she was looking forward to. She talked to friends about uh, looking forward to the future, but also significantly she's now missed one of her child's birthdays. Uh, we've, following extensive um, investigations and inquiries and also searching, uh, we're now treating this as a potential homicide investigation. The task in front of the officers was huge. They didn't know where Ben had driven to that night and what he had done in the two-hour window, and Sarah still hadn't been found. The police believed that he had murdered Sarah and then driven her body to a deposition site. Your arrest is necessary to allow you to be questioned about your Understand? Okay, you don't have to say anything, my heart thinks you're mentioning a question from those on in court, and you can do so no fair evidence. On the 20th of December, the decision was made to arrest Ben Lacombe on suspicion of the murder of Sarah Wellgreen. He was then taken to the station to be questioned. So you are uh, under arrest today on suspicion of the murder of your ex-partner and I understand current um, you still live in the same address at Sarah Wellgreen. When we're talking, I would like you to give as much detail as you can in your answers so that we can really understand 
what it is that you are saying and so that anybody else listening to this interview in the future can really understand what it is that you're saying and we can do justice to what you're telling us. Now, as I say, you're here on suspicion of murdering her. We believe she may be dead and that may be at your hand. So, did you kill her? So, I'm not clear at the moment, Ben, whether you're just trying to think of an answer or whether you've decided not to answer the question. Over the next seven hours, he was interviewed by investigators. Lacomba was silent and refused to answer any question put to him. During a search of the house, a shovel was found in the garden shed that appeared to be brand new. They needed to find Sarah, ascertain the cause of death, and prove that this had been done deliberately by Ben Lacomba. Specialists from the fire service and marine units from all over the country were drafted into the extensive searches to try and find her, including part of the Thames and land near the Blue Water Shopping Centre. So, Joe, what's the latest from today? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Well, the latest today is that dozens of police officers have been searching this area here in Mounts Road in Greenhithe, just a couple of minutes from Blue Water, as you just said. Now, you might be unable to see, but the officers were searching this woodland area behind me to look for any more clues into her disappearance. And they were also searching, as you said, near the Blue Water shopping centre in the surrounding areas there. Roads were closed off while searches were conducted and 1,400 sites were searched but none led to Sarah's body. In spite of this, and on the basis of the case that had been built, on the 28th of December 2018, Ben Lacomba was charged with the murder of Sarah Wellgreen. At Woolwich Crown Court, the trial of Ben Lacomba would begin. Prosecutor Alex Morgan QC would say in a documentary about the case, having a trial with no body presents unique challenges. One of the key moments for the prosecution was revealing a conversation that Ben had had with police several days before his arrest. They had requested his phone. He signed the consent form, but then refused to give consent for deleted data to be retrieved. He told them that he would give it to them the next day at the station because it was late and he wanted to go to bed. But CCTV revealed that Ben hadn't gone to bed. His car was spotted parked by the River Thames late at night, trying to get rid of something something police believe was his mobile phone. Following Sarah going missing, Lacomba was captured on a CCTV camera in a shop, buying a new phone in the exact same make that he put his old SIM card into. DCI Beasley said, Usually we get a lot of cooperation from people, especially when there are concerns for a loved one, but actually, Ben was more interested in the information we could retrieve from his phone and refused to give us his phone. Another element of the case that they argued was evidence of planning was the hours in between him leaving the address and coming home, indicating he had already chosen the deposition site for Sarah's body. When it came to the shovel that had been found during the search, the defence argued that it was there for his mother so she could look after the flowers that were in front of the house. But the flowers at the home did not require such a big shovel, adding to the theory that it had been potentially used to dig a grave. Alison Morgan QC from the prosecution said that the idea he had bought what she referred to as a gravedigger shovel as a present for his mother 
was complete nonsense. Over the course of the trial, more information would be revealed that painted a clearer picture of Ben and Sarah's relationship. When she arrived home from work on the 9th of October, she told Ben that she was planning to buy his share of the house, as her new job would leave her in a financial situation where that was feasible. This meant that in more ways than one, Ben Lacomba was losing control, and if she were to leave him for good and sell the house, he would have been left with virtually nothing. The judge, jury, counsel, court clerk and ushers were given a police escort to the family home to help them contextualise the evidence and see the inner workings of the home, including the intricate CCTV system. Defence barrister Rebecca Trowler QC concluded their case by saying, What I ask of you is a lot less than what the prosecution ask. They are asking you to convict a 39-year-old man with no criminal convictions, not even cautions, of the carefully planned murder of the mother of his children. That is a big ask. After 30 days of the trial, it was time for the jury to deliberate. They would soon return their verdict. On the 28th of October 2019, Ben Lacomba was found guilty of the murder of Sarah Wellgreen. He received life in prison with a minimum term of 27 years. Today, outside court, there were embraces. Her mother, in the brown coat here, had just heard that her killer would not be released for decades. Ben Lacomba showed no remorse or an ounce of emotion as he was sentenced to life in prison today for the murder of his ex-partner, Sarah Wellgreen. He will serve a minimum of 27 years behind bars for killing the mum of five at the home they shared in New Ash Green and won't be released until he's at least 66 years old. After the trial, her eldest son Lewis, speaking on behalf of the family, said he hopes he's never released until he admits where her body is. Today, as far as the law is concerned, justice has been served for Sarah. We hope he will never be released unless he admits his guilt and reveals the location of her grave. To date, he has shown no remorse or care for either Sarah or his own children. Because Ben Lacomba has refused to reveal the location of Sarah's body, we, her family, have been unable to mourn Sarah's passing or lay her to rest in peace. He has never revealed what happened to Sarah or where she is. Should he continue to refuse to divulge any information, it could mean he remains in prison for a longer time, under Helen's law. Helen's law, named after murder victim Helen McCourt, makes killers ineligible for parole if they do not tell police where they've hidden the body of a victim. This followed the tireless campaigning of Marie McCourt, mother of Helen, a 22-year-old insurance clerk who was murdered in 1988. Her murderer, Ian Sims, has never revealed her body's location. The petition calling for Helen's law had gained more than 600,000 signatures and high-level government support. In November 2020, Helen's law received royal assent. Under the law, killers could still be released if no longer deemed a risk to the public, even if they refuse to disclose information, but the parole board will be legally required to consider whether they have cooperated with inquiries as part of their assessment. One of Sarah's elder sons said, There's still that missing piece, and it will always be like that, because there'll always be that missing piece because of what he has done. I believe he's withholding that because that's the only sort of power he has left. Sarah's ex-husband also spoke about him wanting her body to be found. Sarah is very bubbly, 
outgoing. And uh, she obviously knew what she wanted in life and she would do anything to achieve that. And I think she would have achieved it if she was still here. When I heard that she had gone missing, um, at first I thought maybe she'd turn up, but she didn't. And it was, it's very sad. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. If they can find a body, it would give closure to the family and myself, because you know, I was still friends with Sarah. In the year that followed her disappearance, nearly 3,000 potential deposition sites have been identified, but none have led to Sarah. The community in New Ash Green has never given up on their search for Sarah Wellgreen. They have said they will never stop their search for her, and a Facebook page called Search for Sarah Wellgreen was set up too. For those who knew and loved Sarah, the agony of not knowing where she is and what happened to her is devastating. It is the hope of Sarah's family that he will one day reveal her whereabouts so that she can finally be brought home and laid to rest. <laughs>